Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You know, sometimes people, and especially if they're, you may even feel this way, especially if you're kind of new coming to church, you'll say, you know, I just, I need to work on the spiritual part of my life, or, or I just want to be more spiritual. And when we say some things like that, and, and I think we're all guilty of it, there's this, I think, false dichotomy we put out there that there's like a spiritual part of our life, and then there's the rest, right? There's the spiritual part, and then there's the physical, or the practical, or, or maybe even the carnal. Like, there's the spiritual side, and then there's the other side, when the truth is, Everything in our life is spiritual. In one way or another, everything you do and say, the way that you live, the way that life comes at you, and the way that you navigate through life is all actually a very spiritual part of what we look at. Now, we're going to look at some of these spiritual realities today, some things that, and, and in hindsight, might be a little heavy for the week that you lost an hour's sleep. So I apologize for that, right, on the front end. But this is, there's some spiritual realities that are there. We're going to look at, in the book of Acts, about eight verses that to some of us might be just a little weird the way this story goes. But I, but I want you to see a, a spiritual dynamic in life that if you miss this, you will miss out on some of God's, I believe, greatest um, movement and blessing in your lives. I, I want to show you as we walk through this passage in Acts chapter 3, or 13, excuse me, three spiritual realities of life. Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at three spiritual realities of life. We're going to kind of try to breeze through the first two and spend a little bit of time on the third one. The first one that we're going to look at, and it largely goes back to what we talked about last week. Number one is there is in your life spiritual direction. You know, last week we talked about the, the voice of God and the call of God and the will of God in our lives, that God gives to us his direction and his guidance and his leading. And we talked about what it means to know him and to be faithful and to be fruitful. We looked at all this last week and we looked at it in the context of when a church in a place called Antioch was sending out missionaries. The missionaries' names were Barnabas and Saul and their task was to go out and to take the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to parts of the world maybe that had not heard, especially to those who weren't people from a Jewish background. And so they, they were going out to, to minister to Gentiles. And so Barnabas and Saul go out. And let's watch what happens. Acts chapter 13, verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis... They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. There's, there's an interesting um, kind of contrast of phrases in that passage. On the one hand, it says that the Holy Spirit sent them. And we know this from reading the, the, the first few verses of Acts chapter 13, that the Spirit spoke and said to the church, I want you to send these individuals out. And so they laid hands on them, and they gave them the resource that they needed, and they commissioned them and gave them their blessing to go out and be missionaries. And so Saul and Barnabas were sent by the Holy Spirit. They weren't doing it in their own strength. They were doing it in the Spirit's strength. This wasn't just their idea. It was the Spirit's idea. But, but then I love the fact that it says that the Spirit sent them, and so then they had to 
follow a river down to the port city. And then at the port city, they had to take a boat to the island of Cyprus. And then when they got to Cyprus, we'll see that they kind of take this journey. Sometimes I think we get confused and we think that if God's calling me to do something, then he's just going to supernaturally do it. That like if God's calling me to go someplace and do something for him, then I'll just wake up one morning and I'll be there. (laughs) And the truth is, there's this combination between what God wants us to do and what we have to do. Spiritual direction is a partnership of divine empowerment and human action. If if you want spiritual direction in your life, then it's going to be a partnership of what God does and what you do. It's of what he equips you to do and other things that you know you're supposed to do. You know, if you, if you go out and you sit in your car and you get behind the steering wheel and you begin to pray that your car will start. I had a car like that once. You had to do that, right? That's not what I mean. This is different. This is different. Like, you sit there and you just pray, God, would you start my car? Most likely, it's not going to happen. Do you know why? Not because God doesn't answer prayer. It's because God gave you a key right? You pray all you want. You got to turn the key. You have to do it. If you want the car to start, you have to turn the key. That's not taking it away from God. That's doing what God has entrusted to you. Spiritual directing your life. Right? (laughs) Wake them up, Lord. Spiritual direction in your life is divine empowerment. God's going to give that to you, but you have to follow up with human action. And sometimes we... We think that everything's just so spiritual that it's just going to happen. The reality is your everyday decisions are a part of your spiritual life. The things you do every day. So the things you do as a student and as an employee and as a parent and as a spouse and as a family member and in your relationships and in your neighborhood and on your job, all of those things, your everyday decisions are actually spiritual decisions. They're the opportunities when you say, God, I, I want you to work in my life. So know this. Remember, we we talked about this last week, that that the will of God, you want God's specific will in your life, it usually starts when you do the general thing, then God will lead you to the specific thing he has for you to do. That's what Saul and Barnabas are doing. They're just doing what makes sense. God, you've called us to go and do this. And so they go, and as they go, watch what happens. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 13. They traveled through the whole island, until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. There's a lot in that passage, a couple of things. You've got this guy whose name is Bar-Jesus. That has nothing to do with Jesus that we know as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Christ. Jesus was a common name in that time. It was the kind of that, that version in that Aramaic or Hebrew season for the name Joshua, and Bar means son. So this guy's name was just son of Joshua. His father was Joshua, so he was known as son of Joshua. Bar, Jesus was his name, and he's a sorcerer and a false prophet. Sounds like a nice guy, right? And then you've got a guy who's the proconsul, Sergius, uh, Sergius Paulus. Proconsul means he's like the governor, He was the highest official on the island of Cyprus that was sent from the Roman emperor. And do you see what happens here? Saul and Barnabas are just doing their thing. They're being faithful. They're being fruitful. They're doing what God called them to. And then God lines it up for them 
to be called for, to be face-to-face before the, the highest-ranking official on the island of Cyprus. Here's why. Because spiritual direction creates divine appointments. If you keep your eyes open, if you'll watch, if you'll let God lead you and guide you, his spiritual direction will create divine appointments in your life. Now, we could, we could park there for a long time, but I think this is a good opportunity for us to move on to the second spiritual reality. Here's why. Because when you have spiritual direction, God's going to lead you. And there will be moments, and I challenge you, don't, don't be blind to these things. Look for these things. Watch for these moments. When, and, and sometimes they'll seem small. Sometimes they'll seem big. These times when God is saying to you, this is a moment where I can use you, where my, where my plan is leading you. But know this, when you have spiritual direction, that's the first reality. Here comes the second one, number two. With spiritual direction, there will also come, number two, spiritual warfare. That, that when you're moving forward for God and for his kingdom, there may be times where you'll face some, some opposition or some resistance. Now, I don't, I don't know your backgrounds for everybody, like what kind of church background you come from. Maybe you don't have a church background. Maybe you, you come from something that's different in some ways from, from what the, the, the kind of our, our, our tone is here at Calvary. So when you talk about this thing called spiritual warfare, I'll just be honest, sometimes it can get a little weird. So let's look at this story and let's unpack what we're talking about here. Acts chapter 13, verse 6. So Saul and Barnabas traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Watch this. But Elymas, the sorcerer, so that's this guy Bar-Jesus, his, his like given name is Bar-Jesus, but they call him Elymas the sorcerer. Why do they call him that? For that is what his name means. He's, he's a sorcerer. He's a magician. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a showman. So he opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So you've got Saul and Barnabas who are making headway for the kingdom of God. They're, they're moving God's kingdom and the gospel message forward. And now you've got this guy, Elymas, the false prophet, that is opposing them and trying to stop them. Why is that? Because spiritual direction will likely lead to spiritual warfare. When you're, when you're trying to move your life or your family or your priorities or your church forward in what God has for you, then you can likely expect that you'll experience some opposition. True or false? True. Okay, do you remember when you were in school and it's, it's, uh, it's time for... Uh, physical education class, and everybody's in the gym, and the teacher comes out, and the teacher walks out, and they drop that giant rope on the floor. What are you going to play? Tug of war. Do you remember tug of war? Anybody? Not fans. I can tell, all right? So you know what would happen is you pick teams, and you get on different sides, and you pull that rope back and forth, and there's one spot, right? And you want to take as much of the ground as you can. You want to try to pull your enemy, your, your opposition. You want to pull them in your direction because you win when you kind of cross that line, when you break that line, when you take over their territory. And the truth is the Bible tells us that there is a spiritual tug of war that takes place. Now, we can't always see it, We'll read about this in just a moment because there's a spiritual world. There's, there's things, I know for some of you, this might be a little, right? 
But there's, there's things out there. There's spiritual powers that we can't always see, and they are in opposition to God and the things that he wants to do. And so when God's kingdom, when God's people, when God's purposes are moving forward, you can expect that there is another power that's in opposition that tries to stop that progress. Does that make sense? Now, look, be careful here, because some people start to think that anytime anything negative happens, it's the devil, right? It's raining, and you want to go outside? And so you say, it's the devil that caused that rain, right? Or you might be in a situation where you're driving, you're in a hurry, and there's a red light, and you have to stop, and you think, I know the devil's suit is red because I saw it on a cartoon, right? That's the devil that caused that red light. It wasn't the devil. It was just a red light. Right? You can't blame, if you're blaming everything negative in your life on the devil, that's an unhealthy overreaction. But just know this, there is a devil, there is an enemy. Here's his job description, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Does that sound like a nice guy? God's enemy desires to stop God's work. Know this, when you want to move forward in your spiritual life, in your walk with God, there is an enemy, and God's enemy desires to stop God's work. And he's tricky. And he's sneaky. That's when, when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he, he wanted to warn them to be careful. Here's why he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, be careful in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He's a schemer, and his desire is to stop what God wants to do. Now, we'll, we'll talk about his schemes here in just a moment, but I think this is really important for you to see. Barnabas and Saul are right smack dab in the center of what God has for them to do. He has given them an incredible divine appointment. He has brought them face to face, just by the nature of his spiritual direction, with the most powerful individual on the whole island of Cyprus. And when he does, you would think sometimes that the, the, the heavens would open and the light would shine and there would be no issues, but instead they face a major hurdle in opposition. And sometimes we begin to think that if I'm in God's will, then I won't have any challenges or I won't have any issues. And here's the truth. Divine appointments can be difficult times. I mean, that, that was something I think very powerful in what, what Pastor Lindsay and Jason communicated, that you can be right in the middle of what God wants to do and still face opposition of some kind. Life can still be difficult. Divine appointments can be difficult times. No one promised that the journey would be easy. Look, there's times when it'll be tough. And this is what Saul and Barnabas will find out. You're going to see this over and over again in the book of Acts. Here's my encouragement to you, because when I was working on this, I just, I just thought some of you need to know that just because things are going wrong, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Just because everything's not right, it doesn't mean you're not in the right place. God is working in your life even through this difficulty, so my encouragement to you is to take courage. 
in the midst of your challenge, in the midst of your frustration, know that even though this spiritual direction may have brought you to a place of spiritual warfare, there is a third spiritual reality that I want you to see. And when you see it, you need to take courage and trust him. The first reality that we see in this passage is that God does bring spiritual direction. The second one is that you may face spiritual warfare. Here's the third spiritual reality available to you in life. Number three, it's spiritual victory. That in the midst of this, God can bring to you his spiritual victory. This is where this story gets a little crazy. You ready for this? Acts chapter 13, look at verse 9. Saul and Barnabas are standing before the proconsul. They're communicating God's word. Now this dude, Elymas, is trying to stop them. Watch what happens, verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, we'll come back to that in a minute, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil. Didn't learn that in how to win friends and influence people, right? <laughs> You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, there's some stuff here that, that might seem a little bit strange or even a little extreme in this passage. And one of the things that I, that I want you to see here is that Paul operated, one of his spiritual gifts is that he was a prophet. And so when God empowered him in that moment by the Holy Spirit, he spoke in a prophetic way. My fear is that some of you will think after reading this that if you face some opposition that you need to walk up to that person on your job tomorrow and just go, you child of the devil, right that? <laughs> if you do that, you might not see God move, but you will be working on your resume, right? That's probably not gonna, it's probably not gonna help you. But understand this, there's some principles here in this passage that are really key for us if we want to have spiritual victory. What you see here is unique, not just to Paul, but it's unique to the book of Acts. He, he doesn't operate in this same way, really, like this in a lot of other places. There's a couple other times where he speaks out, but there's an awful lot of times where you don't see anything like this. This is unique, but there is some principles here if you want spiritual victory in your life. So I want to show you out of this is, is just four things real quick. That's Paul's pattern for spiritual victory. If you need spiritual victory in your life, where does it come from? Well, we're going to look at these four things very quickly. That's Paul's pattern for spiritual victory. And let me just help us here real quick and tie up kind of a loose end. Why was this guy Saul now called Paul? Right? Because all, all so far, every time we've seen him, he's been called Saul. But we're going to know him for the rest of the book of Acts and then all the rest of his writings, and all throughout church history, we know him as the Apostle Paul. Why the switch here? In that time, kind of different from our time, you would have more than one name. And so because Paul had a Hebrew or a Jewish background, he had a Jewish name, which was Saul. That was kind of his, his family name. It had to do with his, the tribe that his family came from. So he was Saul. But he also grew up in Gentile territory, in part of the Roman world. And so he had a Roman name as well. His Roman name was Paul. Saul, Jewish name. Paul, his Roman name. And now, guess where he's doing ministry? He's doing ministry in the Roman world. In fact, from here on out, God will call him primarily to minister to Gentiles. 
And so now, instead of being Saul, he begins to refer to himself, and Luke calls him Paul, because that's the, the change that needs to happen, the focus that needs to happen for him to be more effective in his ministry. Have you ever seen times when God calls you to change to be more effective at something? Anybody? That's a whole different sermon. All right, let me show you four things. Paul's pattern for spiritual victory here. Here's the first one. Number one, you got to know who you are. When you come up against spiritual warfare, spiritual opposition, you have to know who you are. Watch what Paul does here. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, there was something that hit Paul in that moment. Right, that even though there was opposition, he knew who he was. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had the courage and the strength and the ability, not in himself, but based on who his God was and who he was in his God, to speak out words of truth in that moment. And that's really important. Because I think so many times the reason that the devil, that our enemy, gets the upper hand on us is because we forget who we are. Look at this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. John writes, and, and watch, the, watch the connection here back to Acts 13. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, does that sound like this guy, Elymas, in Acts 13? Claim to be a prophet, not willing to accept the truth about Jesus? That person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you face opposition, when you face difficulty, no matter where it's coming from, know this, greater is the power, greater is the source, greater is the connection that's in you than the power that you face. I love the way the New Living Translation says this. It says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. I love that line because you're facing a battle with people, but you've already won. Might not seem like it, but you've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Why do you say that, Chad? Well, two, two thoughts in that. Verse one, you're a child of God. That's who you belong to. John says it there. He says, look, you dear children, you are a child of God. Your connection goes back to your heavenly father, your identity and your strength and who you are. Look, I, I never served in the military, but as I've interacted with people who have, one of the things I recognize is that a uniform is a very important thing. Like, it's a major part of who you are. Why is that? Because it shows that you're connected to something that is even greater than you are. There's, there's some place where you belong. There's a strength that you have. There's an identity that comes, not just from who you are, but from what you're a part of. Look, you are a child of God. Your identity isn't just in who you are. It's in who he is. And this is why I, I think, and some of you need to hear this, stop putting yourself down. You're a child of God. Stop second-guessing yourself. He's on your team. Stop putting your value in things that will not last in your relationships and in your priorities and in your resources because God is challenging you to realize who you are, that you, have a, you are a child of God. And watch this. You have the power of God. You have his strength. You have his ability. Greater is the spirit that's in you than the spirit that's in the world. Go back to the tug of war thing. 
Man, I can remember being in the gym, teacher dropping the rope and saying, all right, we're going to pick teams. And the teacher would pick a couple of captains, you know, you remember schoolyard picks? Some of you just got butterflies in your stomach in that moment, right? When am I going to get picked? Am I going to be last again, right? You had that all going on in your head. Two captains, the captains start picking. Just give you just a word of truth. I was not the first kid picked most times. I don't have the tug of war kind of physique. In my class, you know who that kid was? It was Clint. You could just kind of count on the fact no matter who was the captain, they were going to pick Clint first. Do you know why? Clint was the strongest kid in the class. And you wanted the biggest kid to be on your team. Why was that? Because then there was no question where Clint was going to go. He was going to go to the back. You know why? Because he was the anchor. He was the one that you, you wanted that strongest kid back there because he was going to hold on. He was going to be the anchor of the whole thing. And you wanted to be on that team because if you were on that team, you knew this, that it was going to be a battle and it was going to be back and forth. But at the end of the day, you had the strongest kid in the class on your team. And that was a good place to be. Can I get an amen? Right? You wanted that. And what we forget is when this spiritual tug of war is taking place, greater is the strongest kid in the class that's on your team than the one who's on the other end of the rope. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Look, the strongest kid in the class, his name is Jesus, and he's on your team. And when you face opposition, when you face challenges, it's important for you to stop and remember who you are. You are a child of God, and you have the power of God. And when you have that settled in your mind, then you can start wrestling with number two. Here's the second thing we see in Paul's pattern for spiritual victory. You got to know who your enemy is. You got to know who your enemy is. Look, Paul does not mince any words. Don't get weird, but, but get honest. When you're facing spiritual warfare or opposition, call it out for what it is. Acts chapter 13, verse 10. You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Look, when you face spiritual warfare, call it out for what it is. Don't, don't sugarcoat it. Don't, don't step around it. When temptation comes knocking or when frustration's at your door or when you start to think maybe this isn't going to happen, recognize that there are times when you just got to say, this is not of God. This is spiritual opposition that's coming my way. Have you ever interacted with anybody maybe that's trying to sell you something or get something from you and at first they seem real nice and they seem real friendly and you're like, oh, they're a nice person and, and you come to a point where you realize that they could care less about you? that all they want is what they can get from you. They, they don't care about you. And at some point, you have to recognize, this person is actually not my friend. You ever been there? Yeah. And, and there's freedom that comes in the moment when you finally go, I'm, I'm calling this out for what it is. You're going to do me more harm than good. And this is completely true in a spiritual sense. There's times where you just got to call it out. Paul does, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's saying, look, there's a war going on out there. And you can't always see it. But there will be opposition if you're trying to move forward in, in God's plan for your life. Where does it come from? Well, it might be demonic. 
I mean, I don't, I don't want to freak anybody out or say anything weird, but the truth is there is a spiritual world with demonic activity. True or false? True. It's there. Now, I don't know that the devil is the one that's always standing in your bedroom because he's not omnipresent. So I don't know that you're at the top of his hit list. But I know this. I know he's got a highly trained team, and they know his schemes, and, and they, they know to come after you. So it might be demonic. Sometimes, like in the case of this story, it might be people that somehow the devil knows how to work through other people. Sometimes it's just evil people who are deliberately out to bring you harm physically or spiritually. It might be people, like in this story, where they're deliberate. Sometimes it's just, it's just the way we interact with people. Are there people in your world that when you're around them, you know it's not good for you? And you got to watch yourself. Sometimes it's because it makes you jealous. Sometimes it's because it makes you angry. Sometimes it's just that they irritate you. And the devil knows how to work that in our lives. It might be demonic. It might be people. And when we say it might be people, it's important for you to identify one of those people. You know who it might be? It might be you. You might be the people <laughs> that the devil uses to trip you up. Guess what? I, I know where a lot of the the destruction that the devil has tried to bring into my life, I know the source of it. And a lot of the source of it is spelled C-H-A-D. It's me. James chapter 1, verse, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So when, when Paul calls this guy out, when he, when he identifies Elemis as a son of the devil, he then identifies some of his schemes, right? What does he later say? You can't be unaware of his schemes. So what are some of his schemes? Well, look at what he says. He says to him that you are an enemy of everything that is right. Look, know this. One of the devil's greatest tactics is to take things that are right and then cause you to think the wrong way about them. It's interesting. I think it's ironic that at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, how are Saul and Barnabas described? One of the terms that's used is that they are prophets. And then they come face to face here in Acts chapter 13 with this guy, Elymas, who is described as a false prophet. Here's why. Because this is one of the tools the enemy uses. Some of the enemy's greatest weapons are counterfeits of God's blessings. If he can somehow warp the way you think about the blessings of, God's, of God, there's only one God. If he, can, if he can cause you to think in a warped way about God's blessings, then he's got you. Just think of it this way. Look at the headlines. People that, that are getting themselves in trouble right now. What are the things that cause that? Sex, money, power. Is that fair? Right? Isn't that the thing we're seeing over and over again? But stop for a moment. Each one of those things. Physical intimacy with another person. It's a gift from God. Money, the resources that he entrusts to us to bless us and to do his will, that's a, that's a blessing from God. Authority, influence, power that God gives to you to accomplish his purposes, that's a blessing from God, isn't it? So at the end of the day, the source of sex, money, and power is God. The problem is the enemy likes to take those good things from God and then warp them to be used as counterfeits to get your eyes off of God and put them onto yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Here's what he loves to do. The enemy succeeds if he can get you to worship your blessing instead of the blesser. That's one of his schemes. So if instead of recognizing that, and we'll just use these as examples, sex, money, and power are gifts from God, instead of recognizing that, if they become your focus, that's when the enemy wins because now you are looking at those things instead of the one who gave them to you. That's a scheme that he uses. In fact, um, Paul goes on to say that, that this guy, Elemis, is full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. And that's the way the devil works. What, what does he use? Well, the enemy distracts us with our vulnerabilities. Like he knows the places where you're vulnerable. He knows the places where he can kind of chip away at you, the places where you're most likely to be tempted or to fall short. And he doesn't care who you are. And I've become convinced of this and, and think this is important. When it comes to your vulnerabilities, the, the devil knows what day of the week it is. Like he knows when you're most likely to be tempted or most likely to give in. I mean, this is, this is just most likely to be defeated, most likely to, to challenge your adequacies or to make you feel inferior or to, you know, he knows how to do that. I'll just, I'll just be real honest. When you're a pastor, then game day, the biggest day of the week is Sunday, right? So the devil knows when I have Saturday because if there's any day he wants to get in my head, Saturday is probably the best day because if he can mess with me before Sunday, does that make sense? Now know this, he also knows your vulnerabilities. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you're mad. He knows when you're hungry. How many of you need a blessing when you're hungry, right? <laughs> he knows all those things. And in the midst of that, he knows that that's the time to come. So if he knows that, you have to know that too because that's when you need to stand firm in who you are. Look, he plays on our vulnerabilities and the enemy plays to our weaknesses and our strengths. He knows your weaknesses and he knows your strengths. He knows your inadequacies, and he knows your pride. And he doesn't care which one. He'll use either one. Your inadequacies or your pride. He just wants you to get thinking a different way. He would love it if you would say, I am no good. If you let your inadequacies come in, and you think you're all alone, and you have no strength, you just say, oh, I'm no good. But he's also okay if instead of you saying, I'm no good, if you say, oh, I'm so good. <laughs> because either way, you're by yourself, right? You're focused on your own. He also likes it if I'm no good and so good causes you to say, oh, and I'm too good. I'm too good for anybody else. Because what happens then is in any one of those three, he's got you on that rope by yourself and then it's nothing to pull you over to his side. He'll play to your strengths. He'll play to your weaknesses. And the enemy is a master of strategic alliances. He knows how to chip away to just get at you. You ever had one of those days where you just put your head down on the pillow at night and just go, when it rains, it pours. He pours it all out at once. He has timing. But let's take this one step further. I, I honestly believe that the, the enemy is a master architect of damaging relationships. Like, let's just say there's somebody who's, who's wounded. I don't know, maybe it was in a relationship. Maybe it was in a job. Maybe it was in a church. Maybe it was in a family. Somehow you, you, have, you have pains and you have wounds. And the enemy loves to, to line you up with somebody else who maybe has some of those same wounds 
not in a way that's helpful empathy, but in a way that's toxic familiarity. And instead of helping each other to get better, you just make each other worse. Does that make sense? And if he can line you up with those people, then that just amplifies the bitterness and it strengthens the grip of the pain and the hurt. And he loves it if he can line up. The devil loves to line up people who once they're together, it forms poison. He knows how to do this. He also knows how to, if you're restless, you're dissatisfied, or you're mad, or you're weak, or you're tempted, or you're struggling, or you're searching, or you're rebellious. He knows how to line you up with somebody in the same spot, because when you're with the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll do the wrong thing. And if he can make those alignments, those alliances happen, then then he can multiply his effectiveness. Those are just some of his schemes. That's why Paul says to him, look, and and you never stop perverting the ways of God. That's true because that's exactly what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. It's exactly what he wants to do to you. So when you come to these moments where you need spiritual victory, it's a time for you to recognize who you are in God. You have to recognize who he is. Here's a, here's a third thing, very quickly. You gotta remember who wins in the end. Remember who wins in the end. That's why I gotta chuckle when Paul says, I just called you out and now things are gonna get real dark for you real fast. And it says this mist comes over him and the next thing you know, he's groping around. And God immediately brings spiritual victory. And I've found that every time I pray, God immediately brings spiritual victory, amen? No. <laughs> I'd like to tell you that. It happened for Paul in Acts chapter 13, but I can also tell you as we read this, it didn't happen for Paul later in 13. It didn't happen in 14. And it didn't happen in, and it didn't happen in. Here's why. Because not every time you pray will the victory be immediate. Sometimes it's a process. There'll be times in this story as we go through Acts where where Paul literally has to run for his life. The opposition doesn't change that quickly. But let me tell you this, your victory may not be immediate, but it is certain. Like it might not come in the way that you think or as quickly as you want. It might not be immediate, but it is certain. Romans chapter eight, verse 37. It doesn't say you won't go through hard times, but hear what it says. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He didn't say you wouldn't face it. He just said there's victory in it. Might not be immediate, but the victory's certain. He wins in the end. Verse four, not verse four, fourth thing. Watch God do amazing things. If if you are on this process of spiritual victory, know who you are, know who your enemy is, trust God that he's the one that's gonna win in the end and then watch God do amazing things. In this process, the bad guy gets blinded, the governor finds Jesus and the good guys win. That's, That's a good end to the story. You know why? Because through it all, their focus wasn't on the challenge, it wasn't just on the struggle, it was on the one who could bring them victory 
in the end. It was on the one that they could trust. And if you're in a place where you need victory today, and and this might be the most important thing for you to hear, today's a day to take courage and take your eyes off of just what you're facing and put it on the one who can make you victorious. Maybe, Maybe a helpful way for us to understand this, especially living in Northwest Ohio at the end of the winter. Anybody seen any potholes? Right? Have you seen them? Like all of a sudden, there's that passage in the Old Testament where the earth opens up and swallows the bad guys. Every time I drive the trail, I'm praying, God, I'm on your team. Some of those you could fall in and never come out, right? And it's just, they open up. I remember when I was a kid riding my bike and, and, and I'm riding my bike. We lived out in the country, a country road, and there was this giant pothole out in the middle of the road. And I was like, man, that's a big pothole. I do not want to ride my bike through it. And what I did was I just stared at the pothole. I was like, that's bad. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to hit that. I, you know what I did? Rode right into it, fell off my bike. Because I was so focused on the challenge that I failed to look at the way around it. You, you got to keep your eyes open. Because when you see those potholes, when you see those challenges, you have to put your sight on the way that you'll be saved from it, not the way that you'll go into it. And there's only one way to be saved from it, and that's through Jesus Christ, right? So if you want victory today, then you put your confidence in the one who's holding the end of the rope. He's the strongest kid in the class. And when you face this spiritual tug of war, look, if God's giving you spiritual direction, you most likely will face spiritual warfare. But I just want you to know you can be confident that you can find spiritual victory. So I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're just going to close with a very simple prayer. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. But I do think that there's times when for us to have a a, a spiritual blessing, it takes a, a physical response. And possibly you're here today, and I don't, know, I don't know in what way you're facing this opposition or this challenge, but you would say, God, as I'm following you, I, I can feel resistance, and I need victory in my life. If you would say today, God, I need spiritual victory from you, would you just stand right where you are? You know it's certain. You just, you just haven't experienced it yet. You're trusting him. If you need spiritual victory today, just stand right where you are. Yeah, man, Awesome. You know what it is, family situation, work situation, finances, health, whatever it is. You just say, God, I'm trusting. I'm looking for your spiritual victory today. In fact, if that's you and you're standing and you're comfortable, just lift your hands to the Lord. Just acknowledge that it's his strength, that he's holding the rope, that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Lord, we look to you today. God, thanks for your word that speaks to us, that challenges us, that encourages us. And that reminds us that victory is found in you. Lord, would you help us to know your spiritual direction? And even in those times when it seems like the enemy is is taking background, when we face that spiritual warfare, when we have deep concern about our, our family, or we wonder about our faith, or we wrestle with our health, or, or, or we're, we're, we're heavy because of our finances, God, that we can look to you and trust in you because greater is he that is in us than any spirit that's in the world. And so, Lord, we trust you today for victory, your spiritual victory that comes. We look to you. We rely on you. We make you the source of our strength today in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. 
Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.